Hello, everyone. Welcome to the CyberWare podcast series with me, your host, Sharon Bethello, joined with my co-host, Raj Manander. We're talking in this episode about cybersecurity awareness and COVID-19. Thank you for listening in with us. Let's get started. We're joined with our guest speaker, Mike Hedlund. Mike, would you care to introduce yourself for a bit? Yeah, thank you, Sherwin. Um, as you said, my name is Mike Headland. I am the president of ISSO, the cybersecurity group RSO on campus. Uh, we do a lot of cybersecurity topics. Uh, we do in-house practice. We do a varying range of topics like Wi-Fi hacking and breaking out of handcuffs, lock picking, attacking various networks all legally of course so yeah that's a little bit about me and isso that's great to see that you keep students involved with leading and spearheading a student organization like that yeah so we, we have a couple of questions for you today first one being are you guys familiar with the recent wave of security issues that browser extensions are facing and do you guys have any extensions and experienced any issues with it <laughs> um, browser extension vulnerabilities are not exactly a new uh, threat. They've been around for oh a good at least a good decade. There's popular vulnerabilities dating back to you know the mid two thousands. Um, as of anything recently, I'm not super aware of anything heavily critical. There's been a couple critical bugs in Google Chrome itself and Firefox as well. Um, but for browser extensions, typically we see um, vulnerabilities or the extensions taking advantage of webcams to try and record people unaware or they try and do click jacking to boost ad ratings on certain websites or they try and redirect you or steal your data or one of the most popular ones um, although it seems to be dying a little bit is the bitcoin mining or cryptocurrency mining in the background i know a couple of them are pretty critical concerns especially with, with you mentioning about webcam extensions I haven't noticed a whole lot of them existing on any of the web stores, be it Mozilla or on Chrome's web store. And I know that recently even I got a notification about um, extensions being cloned because I frequently use an extension known as Dark Reader. And Dark Reader sent all its users a notification message a couple of days, not too long ago, stating that, hey, users, you know, we've been... Uh, We've recently been made aware that a couple of fake clones of our our extension has been, you know, basically been redacted on Firefox and Chrome's web store. So please try to use a legitimate um, version of our extension. Uh, and the interesting thing about that extension was that it takes website data and essentially puts it into dark mode. So regardless of the website you're visiting, by default, it just takes a second or two longer to load the website and puts it into dark mode. So it was uh, an interesting concern. It was the, one of the only extensions that I use apart from Google Translate. On, you know, continuing with extensions, 
cloning extensions has been a fairly popular form of attack a while ago. Oh, it's probably been a couple of years now. The Adblock Plus was cloned and they ended up sending out a note to a couple million people saying, hey, we've uh, got notified that there's a clone of our Chrome extension and it's not doing uh, real traffic. It's sending data to people who shouldn't be getting it. Um, and that's the other vulnerability is a lot of Chrome, actually a lot of browser extensions do, you know, everybody installs them for certain reasons. So I have an ad blocker on mine. I've got a DNS filtering one as well. Do I trust them both? Yes. I have made sure that they are trustworthy. However, whenever you trust a Chrome extension or a Firefox extension or Microsoft Edge for that matter, all of your traffic through your browser is going to go through those extensions. So whether it's DNS requests or ad blocking, they still get some of their data from you. So for those, a lot of them are free Chrome extensions or Firefox extensions. You are the client. So they are trying to make money somewhere. So if that's in ads because they're collecting information about you, then you just need to be careful what you're giving them. Right. And that's the flip side of that coin is that that adware where you don't know necessarily where your data is being shared. And so users have to, in some regard, even the average user has to be a bit critical about what kind of data they're posting or what kind of data is being shared through those extensions. So apart from those browser extensions, have you received any like phishing or spam emails that are related to COVID-19 specific? Uh, yeah, I've gotten one or two. I haven't really paid too much mind to them. I just send them straight to my delete folder. Um, but I do know that they are fairly rampant. Um, I've seen a few examples that are pretty good pop up on Twitter of stuff that other people have found. Um, most of them, it's the simple, hey, here's this ad campaign for COVID, you know, either send your donations here or send goods or they're trying to make money off of you somehow. Just good caution is typically the best way to combat that. Yep, definitely. Just uh, be aware of what type of emails are being sent to your inbox and just don't click on any stupid links, honestly. <laughs> That's the... Uh, Motto cybersecurity in a nutshell. Don't click on things, <laughs> at least for blue team. Funny yeah. thing when I interned was that the cybersecurity team sent out emails that had links and they said, don't click on links. So that was a, a kind of an oxymoron, honestly. Yeah. You know, there's a flip side of, you know, if you are the managing party of your group's email and you're notifying them, hey, there's stuff out there, or if you're saying, hey, don't click on links, by the way, here's a link, then, you know, people might not take you as seriously. Right. You can't tell users completely not to click at links at all at the same time, because, you know, it might be work-related, and they might actually have important information that's not a phishing email. And we've received a, one or two in the past uh, when we think it's a phishing email or a spam email, but it really isn't. It's a pretty legit email. 
Yeah. Um, there's a lot of companies out there that do email filtering. Um, I know MSU is one, um, and they do that at the state level, correct? Yes, we, we do have advanced email filtering in place above and beyond the traditional anti-spam filters. Oh, okay. Sure, sure. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of different companies and products that do email filtering. Um, and while a lot of them are very good, any attacker who wants to get through will. And so keeping users aware of, hey, this stuff is out there, just be careful. If you don't think an email is legit, then either delete it or find, you know, go to your boss, reach out to the other party and say, Hey, is this legit? All right. So our next question, Mike, is how has COVID-19 affected uh, you personally, your academics and or work? Um, academically, all classes have been moved online. Um, I would assume most people listening to this were aware of that. Um, otherwise they live under a rock. Fingers crossed. <laughs> So classes have been fine. I There's a few professors that I've been aware of that have struggled a little bit. Um, a few students have been struggling and a couple of them have reached out and, you know, I've tried to help where I can, but, um, and I know that you're going to, that we're going to get into this in a future question, so I won't go in too much into detail there, but for me, nothing's really changed academically other than classes are online. I sit in on a Zoom call a few times a week. Um, as for work, you know, I, I'm still working, so I'm thankful there. But, uh, you know, we've seen increases in phishing and, you know, we're uh, working on remote workers. So things have been working well we were set up to do remote work prior to this starting so a lot of the initial you know configuration how do we get people working from home uh, we didn't have to deal with that so work is pretty much gone business as normal right that's that's good that you guys have been able to have an easier transition i know a lot of organizations locally here in mankato have you know suffered quite a bit because of the, of the pandemic um, and yeah, and, and in regards to students and academic life, uh, I know quite a few international students that are struggling as well in this, you know, crisis situation, especially with the fact that we don't have as much resources per se, um, you know, or benefits to tackle it. And, you know, we, we, most of us won't even get that, that stipend that comes in from the government because of, you know, like an emergency fund, um, which, yeah, is kind of a bummer. Most international students on campus have kind of also lost their jobs and are just, you know, getting that minimum wage to get by. So it's it's a tough time for, for a lot of folks. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's a, a struggle for almost everyone. I have yet to meet somebody who's gotten a pay raise due to this. Um, I've known people who lost their jobs and aren't getting anything just because of circumstances. Um, back to the academics, I know that, you know, we have people in one of my class that they're joining the Zoom call from Hong Kong. And it's like three in the morning there. Yeah, I can't imagine what it'd be like to 
you know, either wake up in the middle of the night and go, oh, time for class, or to have to stay up that late. Yeah, I know for us, definitely, I would say we're, we're as IT student workers, we're, we're put under a little bit more stress, especially with the pandemic. It's because everything's going online. So our transition to online was very rapid and very quick because it was not only rolled out from in-state level, but it was also rolled out from our you know local end level. And so it was quite a rapid transition. So both me, me and Raj, we, we've had more work these past couple of days than, than before, I would say, and a lot more, you know, COVID-19 related phishing and spam as well. Do you have like any suggestions to students, like how to cope up with, you know, time management? Um, you know, I could give the, the typical, you know, make your calendar, you know, set deadlines. Um, you know, all of that is typically what you hear for, you know, how to, how do you manage your time better? Um, and yeah, for the most part, they're all true. Um, and one thing that I've noticed is that with the transition to all online, um, it's a very different environment for students. Um, they're not used to working from home. They're not used to joining video calls for class. Um, and so that's taking some getting used to. Um, I would imagine that students are asking much less questions in class. So I'm not going to say the uh, learning, the amount of learning has gone down. I don't know that. I'm hoping it hasn't. Um, but I know that some people find it more difficult to learn from a remote perspective. And um, if your uh, professor allows you to record your class session, that would definitely be a good thing to do. It would let you, as a student, re uh, refer back to a lecture um, and then anything that you can write down. So if you take notes, if you don't normally take notes in class, um, I would say take notes. You know, if the professor says something, write it down. If there's a deadline or an assignment that gets verbally spoken, but there's no email or there's nothing on D2L about it, write it down. Create yourself a little to-do list, even if it's just a little sticky note stuck to your laptop. Yeah, those are some great points, Mike. Um, especially how to transition online. I know a lot of students um, are finding it particularly hard um, right now just because there are a lot of uh, courses that aren't designed to primarily be online. And especially after that extended spring break that we had, uh, it's hard to get back into the motion of doing things. So those are good suggestions. Yeah, the, uh, the only other thing I would suggest is Find a spot to do your homework, you know, if remove any unnecessary distractions. So if the TV's on and you can't concentrate, go to your room or turn the TV off, you know, sit at the kitchen table, you know, go somewhere where your distractions are minimized. Right. Isolating your work and, you know, your work and, and living environment is is hard in general especially for a lot of students that are living in student accommodations or one or two bedroom apartments that's typically a hard thing to do yeah absolutely
Okay, so our next question is, if the upcoming summer or fall semester goes online, what kind of training or IT security certifications is the group being geared to offer? Or are there any yeah, online training or certs that you guys you know, will be promoting? Um, that's, that's a bit of a hard question. As a campus RSO, we're technically not licensed to be official trainers. So while, you know, I can tell you, I can advise you on certain things you should be looking into, you should be learning, I can show you how to's. I can't give you official training on any certifications. I can advise you and say, here's something that you should pursue. You know, if you want to go get your SEC plus, or if you want to go get your CISA plus or your net plus, um, those are all certifications that most IT college students, you know, juniors and seniors should be able to, you know, maybe knock out in the summer or at least start the process of, you know, getting a little bit more understanding into what certifications are, what they mean. Um, and I'm more than willing, you know, our group has always been more than willing to, you know, advise and kind of guide people in the right direction. Um, but we can't give official training. So if you are going to pursue a cert and say, yeah, um, ISSO at MSU you know, gave me some training, then that's probably not the best avenue for you to approach. But any training is good training. You guys are definitely gearing students or giving some relevant background, at least, right? I would presume to students to help them obtain these industry certs. Oh, absolutely. Um, a lot of certifications are very individual based. Um, and a lot of them are outside of the scope of classes. So if you wanted to go and get your, you know, network plus, you're going to go and learn a lot of networking concepts. You're going to dive a little deeper into networking than uh, what the networking classes at MSU teach. Um, so there's some advanced, there's some more advanced topics in some of the certifications than college teaches. And that's how it's designed to be. So there's supposed to be a add-on to uh, show that you know some more knowledge. I know if I'm still aware, if they have openings, I believe uh, from Min State they're offering uh, a cybersecurity boot camp. I, I think it's being done virtually now. I'm not sure in the summer. So any links to that, we'll we'll put that in the description. But are you aware of that, Mike? Yes, I am actually very aware of that. Um, if I can, I actually have the email here. If I can pull that up, um, that the last email I got from Janice about that was they were looking into how to transition that to online. Um, I had, I don't remember seeing an email that it had officially gone online. Um, but they are still taking um, new people. I know that their cap was 50, and as of last week, they only had about half full. So anybody willing who wants to try and take that, 
I would highly advise to do that. Um, that's not through MSU. That is through um, the Minnesota IT Center of Excellence. Um, and yeah, they're sure when you said links will be down below. Right. We'll put them in the description. Wonderful. Um, the class does cost 150 bucks. Um, however, typically the class is a week long. Um, and typically if you were to pay for it out of pocket without any sort of discount, it's typically around 1200 bucks. So you're getting a $1,200 class for around 150 bucks. So that's absolutely fantastic. And then on top of that, they're also giving a 40% discount for when you go and take your certification test. So this is for your SEC plus and your CISA plus. So, um, and those tests typically range three to 400 bucks a piece. So 400 40% uh, off is a good chunk of change. Yeah, definitely. I think I even reached out to Janice um, a while back asking her about whether a student who's really interested in taking both has the option to do both. And she got back to me saying that if, if you're up for it, since especially now that it's going virtual, because it will be pre-recorded at least for some of it, uh, you can potentially do both since they're actually happening at the same, the training is being done at the same time. So you can get training potentially for your SISA plus and your security plus, which is quite a huge deal um, if you, you know, pay for both, but still 40% off on that exam is a great deal. Yeah. And that's, that's news to me. Um, so yeah, if you can, if you can definitely afford it and you're willing to put in the time, I would say definitely try and get both in. Um, unless you have one of them, then you should and a lot of the information between the two should overlap yeah what would you say is the um, you know value added value of these certs in the industry um certs are and from my experience certs are looked at as a proof of hey i actually do know what i'm doing it also shows that hey, yeah, maybe I did my college or maybe I'm just starting off with certs. But it shows that there's a little more than just, hey, I went and got a degree. It shows you like what you're doing. It shows you're passionate about it. And it shows that you have additional skills as opposed to some of the competition. So if you're applying for jobs and you have some certifications, then that definitely shows that, you are a leg up on them and you'll have a better shot at whatever job you're going for. Yeah. Right. And, uh, actually we just had a question pop up. So, a uh, curious listener just asked, um, if, if you don't have a bachelor's degree in it particularly, um, could you, you know, supplement your current degree to just try and get a foothold in it with certs, um, especially as an area of specialization or focus. Or is that, you know, or would you be still better off with a bachelor's degree in say IT or, or even, um, you know, data science or anything computer related? Um, that's a great question. And actually that's been one that it totally depends on who you talk to and what job you're trying to go for. 
if your goal is to be the CTO or the CEO of a large tech company, you're going to need that degree. If for no other reason than it makes you look good, and a lot of companies for executive positions, for public positions, they like their employees to look good. It makes the company look good. It makes you look better. And also, the college degree typically gives you a better salary. Now, if you are starting at help desk or if you just want to get your foot in the door to IT, if you want to do pretty much anything that the uh, that they don't absolutely require a degree, certs are an absolutely great way to start. Um, and a lot of companies will look at you. So it's not, oh, I don't have a degree, I shouldn't apply. You definitely should. If you take the time to go and get some certifications, I would say, and this is my opinion, um, that you are just as qualified as somebody with a bachelor's degree. Yeah, that, that's great advice for our listeners out there. All right, so, and we worked on this together uh, as part of a team, but um, Mike, what was your experience like uh, at the CCDC 2020, um, the Cyber Collegiate Defense Competition that was hosted in Alexander, Minnesota? Uh, what, and also, what was your biggest takeaway from that event and how did you think we progressed as a team? I know it's a mouthful, but what do you guys hope to improve on the next event? Um, so the ISSO went to CCDC, which is the Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition, and it was hosted in Alexandria this year, um, as well as last year. Um, typically, for those who don't know or who aren't familiar, there is a team of eight people who go into this competition, um, eight or under, and you are given a live environment and the exact same environment as every other team that's participating. And this environment consists of a web interface, so it's an e-commerce site, and then there's a couple other services that are running, like an email server that are public-facing. You... It is to emulate a business environment, and we are given this environment, and it's vulnerable. So it's out of date. It's not patched. There's a lot of vulnerabilities. There's a lot of you know best practices gone wrong or worst practices that have been implemented, and it's our job to find these flaws and correct them all while a team of industry hackers. So this year they met and they ran their team out of Best Buy in Minneapolis. But these are people who do ethical hacking for a living. So Best Buy has a team. Target typically sends some. Um, CLA and a few other, I believe NetSpy as well, sent some hackers in to try and breach our environment. So they're using current tools that are used by malicious actors as well as ethical hackers to try and breach our environment. And then you're given points for the longer you your services stay up. 
And for our performance this year, I thought we did pretty well. Um, we had a team of eight, and then unfortunately we had one fall ill at the last second, so we ended up competing with a team of seven against a dozen or so other teams with all eight people. And we managed to come in fifth place, which I thought was very good considering we were a person down. Um, the As far as points go, we did keep third place through most of the competition. Um, some of the points that are assigned to your final score are from other um, challenges. So there are challenges that come up that are not based on maintaining your services. Um, and then we were one of three or four teams that did not allow any hackers into our environment. So I thought we did exceptionally well there with keeping out the bad guys. Right. I know it was a pretty dot, especially since it was my first um, CCDC competition or event that we had. Uh, I know it was pretty daunting at times because it was what, a six hours, I believe, Mike? Yeah, typically it starts at eight or nine and then you're given access to the environment and it goes until four. And you are locked in a room with your environment. You do not have your cell phone. You do not have any communication with the outside world. So it's what you know and what you can Google as fast as possible. Right, and and I think even the red team was crafty enough this year uh, to engineer a um, vishing event where they they tried to get in touch with and and I I remember I still recall picking up the phone call and then handing it over to you, Mike. And yeah, it was it was interesting. Uh, I know they did congratulate our team as being one of the few that they weren't able to extract any potential information out of uh, or data, and. Uh, they, they did give us kudos on that. Uh, but yeah, I, I felt that our team performed exceptionally well, given our, you know, our limited experience and training, because unfortunately we weren't able to get our environments, uh, our test environments up and running for the most part prior to the contest. But I think uh, that, that sort of hints on that next end of the question as to what we hope to improve on our next event. Do you have any more words to add to that, Mike? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll quick go back to the uh, the vishing thing that was new for last year or for this year, um, and so that was very that was very fun to see them implementing some sort of fishing, even if it is just vishing. Um, and because I was the one that had the call for the most time, to hear as I wasted their time, just to hear them getting more and more frustrated as I wouldn't give them any information and I was just wasting their time. So it was a lot of fun getting to hear them be frustrated and knowing that we're doing a good job while I'm wasting their time. The rest of the team can do their job without interference. Um, as for moving forward, we should be getting a environment courtesy of MSU. Um, I'm hoping that that will be up and running for fall. Um, I know we didn't, there were some hiccups and we weren't quite able to get access to it just based on the nature of what we want to do with it um, this year. So that was a little um, disappointing, but you know, we worked through it. We still did pretty well. 
um, individuals have been spinning up VMs and testing things out. They've been learning on their own. So even though we did come up with a little bit of a challenge, we did manage to get some resources to people and kind of work around it. So that is something that I want to give the entire ISSO kudos to. Right. I know we definitely, um, cause I'm involved in the RSO for most of you listeners that aren't aware, but yeah, no, we've definitely pulled through as, as an RSO. It's helped our, our team, you know, really understand those challenges and take that to those real life scenarios like CCDC, where we really can show them off and, and excel. So I know I was aware of one of the events that was recently hosted. I think it was virtual and this was just immediate to um, the uh, spring break that we, the extended spring break that we had. Um, and it was hosted uh, by IEEE and DREAM, another student organization. And DREAM, for those of you that don't know or aren't aware, stands for uh, uh, Data Resources for Eager and Analytic Minds. Um, and IEEE is uh, one of the international organizations and they have uh, their own chapter here at MSU. So they collaborated to have a, a hackathon. Uh, I was wondering, Mike, if you would, you know, as president, as current president, whether there are plans to host like a virtual hacking or CTF capture the flag style event. Um, well, we did have one for this semester planned, but uh, that is no longer possible. The uh, Dream and IEEE did a wonderful job with theirs. Um, I'm actually not. I know they were hosting it. I would assume they went virtual. Is that correct? Yeah, they did send an email to their members. I didn't follow through and personally attend or even interact with individuals that did go and attend. But uh, from what I gathered, I, I felt that they, they went completely virtual on that one. So um, I was glad to see them make that transition and actually go through with the event. Yeah, that's, that's always nice to see other RSOs do really well in the face of adversity. Um, unfortunately for us, it's very, it's a lot more difficult to host a hackathon just due to the nature of what ours entails. Typically when we do a hackathon, it involves a lot of offensive tools and vulnerable um, computers. And that's not something that is very easily given to everybody or hosted publicly. So there's a lot of downsides of putting you know, virtual machines that are extremely vulnerable straight to the internet. So unfortunately, it's not going to happen this semester. However, I'm very much hoping that we'll get one or maybe two off in the fall since we've got some extra content. All right. And Thanks for that, Mike. And that brings us to our final question. What does the future look like for ISSO? Um, well, that's a little bit in the air with how the uh, lockdown procedures for Minnesota go and how MSU's policy is going to dictate how we behave. Um, for the foreseeable future, while we are under these limitations, it is all virtual. We're we're talking back and forth in Slack. We're discussing projects people have for official meeting. I'm really hoping that in the fall we'll be able to meet in person again. 
Um, if not, then we will definitely figure out how to go virtual completely. I have some ideas on how to do it. Um, unfortunately, it's going to be fairly resource intensive on my part. And I just haven't gotten everything that I need for that done yet. So I'm hoping to have that done midway over the summer so that I can host that for everyone in ISSO. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mike, for your time and for opportunity to, to have us host you here. And that concludes our session three podcast. We'll look forward to, to have you listening on us again in the future. And next week we'll, we'll have Mike Many, who is the CISO and also uh, me and Raj both work and are employed for him at ITS. So he's kind of our boss. Uh, we look forward to have you joining us during the next session. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'll look forward to that. That should be a, uh, a good lesson. Thank you for having me.